0: dark and dusty drapes, let in some light, Tell bill boy come get my trunk, cause I'm leaving here. Welcome back to another new episode of Meryl Streep and the Movies with Zachary Scott Johnson and Meryl McNally. How are you tonight, Meryl McNally?
1: I am excellent. How are you?
0: Good. I screwed that up a little bit. I said tonight, and it's really like 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and then I said your name all weird because I was trying to combine tonight and today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Please keep this entire... Section. Yes.
0: Cutting around my mistakes. How are you doing today, Meryl? I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm
1: pretty good. Because, you know, nobody will know when the episodes are released.
0: Well, maybe. (laughs) This movie is, or this podcast is about Meryl Streep. So if I say the word Meryl wrong, although actually, because I've been editing these episodes quickly, do you know what other mistake I keep making? And I don't know why. I keep saying Kramer and Kramer instead of Kramer versus Kramer. Really? Really. I've said it like three times and I know what the title of the movie is. I don't know what is going on. So sorry, people. I know what the movie is called and I don't know what I'm doing. Shame on both of us. So, um, you know, as we've been talking about, it's tough to squeeze other things in. Have you seen anything else since we last chatted
1: um yes i watched a uh british miniseries called gold digger with julia ormond and ben barnes okay and it was interesting she plays a woman who just had her 60th birthday party newly divorced um, her kids all bail on her birthday. So she's in London by herself and goes to the museum and meets a um, Ben Barnes, a man in his 30s. And they start a relationship and end up getting engaged. It's sort of a thriller. Okay. Um, so you know that something went on with her. Her ex-husband had an affair with her best friend and has left her. But there's also these flashbacks that you're not quite sure what's happening with her. You know, with her past with her husband, and and you're not really sure if the if Ben Barnes' character is up to no good, if he's you know a gold digger, hence the title. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has a, it has a surprise twist ending. It's it's okay. okay. It's entertaining. It's on Acorn. Acorn a- TV.
0: Okay, I've not even heard of that. I was gonna say it looks like it's a UK thing. Is it yeah. like?
1: Acord TV is kind of like BritBox. It's just, it's a lot of British and Australian Irish television shows dating back quite a while. They've got a collection on there. And um, you can get the channel on Amazon Prime or you can buy the streaming app. I've had it for a while because there's an Australian television show I love called... um, In Australia, it's called Dr. Doctor. In the U.S. and other markets, they, for some reason, changed it to The Heart Guy. Um, But I do enjoy it. So that's why I have it. And it showed up on there, so I decided to watch it.
0: Cold Digger. Okay, so is it like a BBC thing or just something else in the U.K.?
1: Yeah, you know what? I'm not sure. I'm not sure who produced it, if it's a BBC show or not. I should have paid attention. I would assume it is, but...
0: Yeah. Okay, cool. So it gets like a tepid thumbs up?
1: Yeah. I mean, in an effort to be thrillerish, um, they make him seem a little unstable. And so it comes off as somewhat emotionally manipulative slash abusive. And I'm not sure that was their intention. Um, but they're both wonderful in it. You know, they're, I love Julia Ormond.
0: When you said her name, I was just thinking, boy, it's been a while since I've heard her name.
1: Yeah, she's done, um, she did another, she did an Australian movie called uh, Ladies in Black. It's a really sweet movie, just recently. Nice. Um, Yeah, yeah. So anyway, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for something to do, it's entertaining.
0: Okay, looks like it's easy to manage, six episodes.
1: Yeah, and honestly, like, I missed two in the middle and didn't miss anything.
0: oh wow (laughs) that's not always the best sign but okay (laughs) no
1: (laughs) but I love everybody involved (laughs)
0: yeah sometimes that happens sometimes things are just fun and light and it's just fine you know it not everything needs to be earth-shattering either you know
1: yeah and it's it is pretty heavy content um just in terms of like emotional um but yeah it could have been much shorter not a lot happens yeah Cool. How about
0: you? I watched, um, this will perhaps come back later because it involves our six degrees person, but I did, I indeed did watch that movie that I was talking about, um, that Helen Hunt is in on Amazon prime called I see you. I think it's called I see you. Um, really, really interesting. It's one of those, it, it was a little bit closer to horror than, um, I expect it in a weird, it's kind of, it's, it's got one of those, I don't even know how to describe it. It's very like spooky. It's a movie that takes place almost in two halves. And I guess, um, I'm going to try not to spoil too much about this, but you know, if you're a spoiler, you know, averse, maybe jump ahead two or three minutes here. Um, I it's been a while and I since I've seen a movie that basically like halfway through completely shifted perspectives like this movie does and I, I think it's a really interesting way to approach this it almost feels like two different movies and you get to see a lot of the stuff that you saw in the first half of the movie in a completely different way in the second half of the movie because like i said the perspective changes and um so helen hunt is really only in the first half or so of the movie and it's this story of you you know she plays a doctor it's not really defined if she's like a psychiatrist or what kind of doctor she is Um, but she's married, but has been cheating on her husband and, and they have a son together and he's maybe 17 or so somewhere, somewhere around there. And so there's just a lot of tension in the house. Everybody's mad at her for having had this affair. And, um, they've, they live in this house that's really too big for just the three of them. And they start noticing that things are like happening in their house. It's almost like this ghost story. And there's also this thing that's going on in their community where a couple kids have been, um, abducted within the last year or so. And so there's almost this implication of like, is it a ghost of one of these kids doing it? Um, and then halfway through the perspective shifts and, um, goes to what is a really interesting idea and something that is kind of, absolutely terrifying to think about but um there are these two again kind of younger folks maybe college age um i want to say drifters for lack of a better word who um break into people's houses and live there like kind of undetected in like an attic or a crawl space for a few days and then leave and go on to the next house. So they're always looking for bigger houses where people have like guest rooms and stuff that they don't go in as often where they might not notice um, things. And Mm -hmm. so I'll leave it. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. But um, it's, it's certainly not a perfect movie, but it was a really interesting movie because it's just kind of a totally different, um, form almost of making movies. I don't even know what to compare it to in some ways. There are some elements in the beginning part of like that ghosty thing where it's not really like paranormal activity adjacent, but like somewhere in that realm of things. And then the second half becomes, you know, about these two people and it's very, you know, it's, it's realism again, all of that ghost stuff goes away. um, And it's, it's realism and kind of a very dark, take on these things so anyway um so i would recommend it it's on amazon prime i just thought it was a really interesting movie and it was yeah it was worth checking out for sure
1: yeah i was just looking it up and uh completely unrelated but for helen hunt they are revamping mad about you
0: they they already have that's already out
1: it, did you watch it
0: oh, I, God, i'm I, fine
1: i'm so sorry y'all.
0: I really wanted to actually it is um, they they revamped that show and then they put it on spectrum, which is, I guess, like a cable thing that some people when they subscribe to cable, some people have spectrum, some people have Comcast, some people have these different things. And so it's like a spectrum on demand thing, but you can't see it unless it's um, unless you have spectrum. So I think that's one of the things that a lot of people really did not particularly like about this is um, Spectrum. I think you know dumped a lot of money into it to get them to come back and do it, but then like nobody could watch it. <laughs> so I don't know. I've been I've been trying to find a way. I'm hoping eventually they'll put it out on DVD or some find some way to let other people see it. But no yeah, luck so.
1: Far. I mean, Spectrum's not even not even an option in this part of the world. So they're cutting off parts of the United States from yep. seeing. That's silly.
0: Yeah. And they did it in a, my, my parents have spectrum. So actually it was one of one of the times when I visited them before the quarantine, um, I was, I was going to watch it on their, you know, and they, it was a funny thing because they released, they did like 12 episodes or something and they released the first six and then they were going to release the second six kind of in another batch, maybe a month or two later. And there was something in like the day that I was there, it was, unavailable for some reason like the first six had been released and the next day they were going to put out the next six but they had then taken the first six off or something like there was you couldn't even access it even if you were with spectrum that particular day so i don't know i i was curious to watch it and hope that there will be another way because i remember really loving that show you know oh, i love I loved it yeah
1: yeah i was a big fan
0: yeah so well speaking of tv Let's dive into a, um, a unique project in Meryl's filmography, one of the few made-for-TV movies that she did, and especially at the period of time in which this was made, um, a very interesting movie. So anyway, as we, we'll get into it. As we usually do, let's maybe start with a plot synopsis because this is one that I'm guessing some folks might not have seen. This is not one of her better-known works.
1: Yeah, it was a TV movie from 1997. She plays sort of a middle-class American mom of three children, a daughter and two boys, and her youngest um, is uh, quite young, maybe six?
0: Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Yeah,
1: And um, she's married to Fred Ward. They have, it looks like sort of a country property, and you know, sort of an idyllic idyllic family and her youngest son starts having seizures and is diagnosed with epilepsy. And really the majority of the film is the family trying to deal with um, that diagnosis and, and the medical care he's receiving and the medications that aren't working and trying to find a solution. And she ultimately in his, in his particular case in the film, none of the medication is working he's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And she starts doing, you know, what any mom does her own research and finds, um, a study about the ketogenic diet and some work being done at Johns Hopkins and wants to take her son and medical professionals are sort of fighting her on it. But ultimately she takes them and, um, I don't think there's any spoilers here. She gets him on the ketogenic diet, and it significantly helps him and reduces his seizures and saves the day. I will say, before we move any further into the podcast, neither Zach or I are medical professionals. We are not endorsing one type of treatment or another. We know nothing about epilepsy. Um, So anything we say is just our opinion. It is not advice or anything like that.
0: Yeah. You can tell which one of us has the, uh, <laughs> the background.
1: <laughs> I was like, "Ooh, I don't know how to talk about this movie."
0: <laughs> it's you know, it's it's an interesting that the um, in some ways that I don't know which network this was on. Oh, it's, it was on ABC. Um, it seems like a pretty bold stance for ABC to take, actually, because this movie is really, it's got it's a it's a one sided tail. You know what I mean? Like this, this flies very much in the face of like conventional, um, medical, you know, background and, and goes for like a diet. And again, I am more likely to subscribe to the ketogenic diet. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that they shouldn't have gone that route. I'm just saying, um, it, uh, they made some, some bold choices in the making of this movie.
1: The movie definitely has an opinion and it is a very strong one. Um, Also, nothing about it says TV movie. This movie could have been released in theaters and I would not have questioned it. Like nothing about the production quality told me it was a TV movie. It's a feature film length, essentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, They could show it in a two-hour time block with commercials. It just comes under two hours. Um, And a star-studded cast. Allison Janney, Meryl Streep, Fred Ward... Uh, Mar- Margo
0: Martindale. I love Margo Martindale. I love her so much.
1: Oh, she's can so I be so when I grow up, please?
0: I know. I just, um, yeah, she's she is incredible. Um, one of the other things that I wanted to mention, as long as we're in the kind of plot synopsis territory, is one of the other really important storylines that kind of B storyline throughout all of this is that um, shortly after he, Robbie, starts needing this medical care, they discover that their health insurance is invalid. And so obviously he's in he's in great need. And he's basically hospitalized for what looks like months at a time. You know, it looks like he's hospitalized at the very least for weeks at a time. You know, it seems like he's living at the hospital at a certain at a certain point in this movie, and so because of that, the family really undergoes a lot of financial strife and a lot of home tensions. Um, their house is foreclosed on. They start getting things repossessed. Um, you know, they they really suffer a lot because they're needing to pay out of pocket. So one of the things that I felt was um, I, I got why they did that. I actually there it, I I can kind of see both sides. There was a part of me that was like, Oh man, is this going to become another like insurance movie? Like, you know, just showing us how awful insurance is. And I'm not saying those movies shouldn't be made because insurance pretty much is awful. And you know, there are a lot of people who've had their houses taken away and have had their, you know, their possessions repossessed because they were trying to pay for cancer treatment or, or whatever. And that's ridiculous and insane. But, um, They kind of, they bring that up and we see the strife, but they also don't make that the focal point of this movie. It's just like another thing that these, um, that this family has to endure. And um, yeah, this, this movie was, um, I was surprised how much of this movie I remember. I actually feel like I thought I had seen this only once. I'm sure I watched it when it was on TV in 97. And I think I've seen it again since because there were certain scenes that I was like, oh, I totally remember this scene um, way, way more often than I thought I would. So um, how, was this your first time seeing this movie?
1: Um, I was in boarding school when this came out. It was a sophomore, unless it came out in the summer, I don't have a recollection of it.
0: That's it aired on. Uh, it aired on February sixteenth.
1: Yeah, it was definitely a school, and we just. I mean, we had a TV in our lounge, but I wasn't watching TV on a regular basis. I work rec- like we would. We would gather once a week in the lounge to watch nine hundred two one zero. That was a nice. thing.
0: Yeah. <laughs> nice.
1: <laughs> so, um, yeah. No, I didn't. I didn't see it when it came out. This was my first time, and you know what? I I think it holds up pretty well in many ways. Yeah. Yeah,
0: the the music could could use an update in certain parts. That's the one spot when you were when you were saying you wouldn't know it's a made for TV movie. There were a few there were a few music. Uh, that's bumps. a really good point. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> that's kind of it though. You're right though that the production values here are really strong, and um, it's also probably a really good time to mention that this movie was directed by Jim Abrahams who people probably know as part of the, um, you know, Zucker, Abrahams and Zucker uh, Mm -hmm. trilogy of directors. They did Airplane, they did, um, what else did they do? They did Hot Shots, they did one of the scary movies. They did uh, Ruthless People uh, with Bette Midler. They did Big Business with Bette Midler and uh, Lily Tomlin. They, They, so they're kind of best known for these really zany comedies. And um, so the reason that this was made, do you know all of this? No. Okay. So the reason that this movie was made and the reason why Merrill did this movie is because Jim Abrahams, the director, his son is basically Robbie. His, his son, he had a son who was experiencing um, things and, who not things, epilepsy, and um, it was the ketogenic diet that really saved his life, and so he wanted to make a movie and let people know about it, which is really kind of an amazing thing, and so he sent Merrill this letter. Um, as I was talking about last time, I, I I think I mentioned to you before we started recording last time that I, I feel kind of bad about it now, because I think I was a little bit flippant, like, why would Meryl Streep do this movie, and actually, it's oh. for a really really great reason, like really humanitarian, good cause reason. Um, she wanted people to know about this, the letter that she received, I think they were friends already, um, really spoke to her. And she, from the sounds of it actually didn't even take any money for this movie. She just made it and just did it because she felt like it was the right thing to do.
1: You know, you can, you can really, I really think the whole cast did that because it's a pretty stellar cast. Um, also a very cool thing about the film. And they point this out at the end is that several of the supporting actors are played by, um, people who have had epilepsy and were helped by the ketogenic diet as children. Um, and that's, that's pretty amazing too.
0: Yeah, that is, that is not not a labor of love. Yeah. Yeah. That is not one of the things that I did remember. And then when they start showing that, um, scene at the end, you know, where like the little montage of it, you're like, Oh yeah, that's really sweet. Um, yeah, this movie is, it's hard to watch. Um, in, in a way, the first hour or so is really seeing a kid, like, you know, just have epilepsy and struggle and scream and confusion and anger and frustration and like constant, like just tension and like this mounting just awfulness that you're that you're witnessing this poor really sweet family endure like you're just seeing them all approach it from different ways Um, Robbie has has two siblings he has an older brother and a pretty significantly older sister the sister is probably what 15 or 16 and the other son is probably 12 or so and um, so you know they're kind of the the forgotten ones in a way and Fred Ward who plays Um, Robbie's dad, Merrill's Mm -hmm. husband, he's a truck driver, you know, like you said, they live on this kind of farm, they, they get a horse early on in the movie, and, um, you know, have all this land, he's a truck driver, they, you know, are just salt of the earth, like good people living in, I think, Kansas. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he starts to take these kind of longer and more dangerous drives, just for the money, which, again, you can just imagine that there are people out there who are in this situation where they have to do that. And, um, yeah, it's just a, it's a pretty effective portrayal of, like, good, decent people, you know, overcoming some pretty significant and legitimate obstacles.
1: Yeah, the, I think it does a, a great job of capturing the, the level of prolonged stress on a family dealing with chronic medical issue like that and the financial strain, uh, cause they don't, you know, they don't have long to do it. <laughs> um, and I, yeah, I think it, I think it did a good job, but yeah, the, fur the, fir, really the first hour, 15 of the hour, what is it like an hour and 40 minutes long? Yeah, it's, it's just, just watching minutes. a child suffer is really
0: whew, brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Brutal. We've talked about this before. We both have, um, we both have some, I don't want to say trigger warnings, but like animal suffering and children suffering are like things that are very hard to endure. And there are scenes where he's just like crying and freaking out that scene in the in the hospital where they just kind of like put him in that little like baby jail. And they tell, you know, Meryl, like, go home and get some sleep. We've got to run some t-, like and he just listen to him wail. It's so hard
1: I think, actually, I'd like to take a moment and shout out to Seth Atkins, the child actor who played Robbie, who Robbie Rymuller, because that kid is
0: good. Really good.
1: (laughs) He was so good. I I mean, really, he was just, he was fantastic.
0: It's one of the better child performances I've ever seen, I would say. Oh, yeah. When you factor in the fact that I assume... He in real life doesn't have any actual history with epilepsy, I would assume. Um, I guess that's something I should know. But, you know, like those seizures were terrifying and looked very real. And not only that, but then like he was also he was also able to portray like I don't want to say a normal kid kids, you know, like there's a spectrum of what's normal. um, But, you know, for lack of like what his personality was before having epilepsy, like his you know, like original self or whatever you want to say. And then yeah. the zonked out, you know, overly medicated can barely handle a sentence Kid, Like he, he played with all of those levels and everywhere in between. So that's really tough for a kid who's six or seven years old.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And he really did an amazing job.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's talk for a second about um, Allison Janney in this movie who plays like Kind of a, a an archetype of like a very by the books, very uh, stuffy doctor who wants no part in this alternative medicine um, plan. Who just decides she knows what's best, which is surgery and you know more drugs and more pills and trying to figure it out. Um, yeah, tough to tough to like her in this movie as much as I love Alice and Jenny in real life.
1: Yeah. You know what the saving grace on that was where I really sort of, uh, it was the moment where I truly believed that she believed that it was the wrong way to go like in her bones after Meryl Streep goes to her, tells her about this study at, at John Hopkins about the ketogenic diet. She says, this isn't proven science. I don't adhere to things that haven't been proven to work. I am recommending this course of treatment. And um, Meryl Streep really insists on taking her son. And Alice Janney comes to her and says, I have been told that I am difficult uh, to get along with personality-wise. And I want to make sure that you're not making this choice because of a personality conflict. Right. And I kind of appreciated that moment. Like, sort of on the surface, it seems like it might be offensive and a total misunderstanding of, you know, Meryl Streep's motivation, But you can you can sort of see her humanity in that moment where she's truly believes right what she's saying is the right course of action. Right. It's troubling, but you know. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, doctors, for the most part, obviously, just as in any profession, there are there. Are doctors who shouldn't be doctors for for various reasons. But you, know, you have to imagine that there are a lot of doctors exactly like this who believe this is the best way to go. That's the world that they know. They've seen results. They've seen um, improvements, incremental. Actually, one of the um, kind of more enduring characters is that nurse um, who I, I'm going to try to find her name, actually. Um, but, you know, she says she says to Meryl's character partway through, you know, sometimes we see improvement. And with Robbie, we're not seeing improvement. Um, but, she, you know, she said people get better here. And so I'm sure that it's tough when you've seen somebody, uh, you know, have some have some good response. And in this case, you're you're kind of not seeing it. Um Yeah. I don't know. I'm not being particularly articulate about this, but.
1: Oh, yeah. I will say that this movie does a really good job. So as like a little bit of backstory, I was really sick as a kid. I did not have epilepsy, but for a long time, we did not know what was going on and um, in and out of the doctor and, you know, just really sort of scary. And my, my mom, was a super advocate for me in a very similar way to Meryl Streep in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, just was not listening to what the doctors were saying because um, it just wasn't adding up. She knew me better than they did. And I had I was very lucky. I had an amazing um, regular pediatrician who listened to her. Um, and continued to also be an advocate for me with specialists. And I, I got to say, like, for the kids out there who have moms, like my mom and Meryl Streep in this movie, holy moly. Way to go, moms. It's a shout out to moms because they're, they're the only ones who can truly be your advocate. You can't do it as a kid. And I thought this film captured that really beautifully.
0: Yeah, it it really is kind of a um, story of like you say it's you know somebody who's willing to do anything for her for the sake of her son and the hope that he'll get better even if it means you know flying to Maryland when they don't have the money to do that like you know finding a way to just make this happen
1: absolutely come hell or high water
0: yeah basically all consequences aside you know so like we said early in the movie they seem to be like a very not rich family but you know they're doing fine they have a lot of land they've been kind of gifted this horse slash the dad might have won it in a poker game or something like it's kind of not quite defined yeah (laughs) um but they they now have this horse which the kids are excited about um and the dad as incentive to the middle son, not Robbie, the the middle son to get his grades up, says that if he gets his grades up to a B, he's going to take them all to Hawaii um, on a, you know, on this trip and they're going to, you know, so the kids have some, have some luxuries for sure. Mm -hmm. And then everything in their world starts to change and it's embarrassing for them and it's heartbreaking for them. So the son really struggles with not being able to go on this trip and, you know, kind of blaming Robbie at least temporarily for that. The daughter who is, you know, in those like sensitive teenage years sees what I assume is, you know, her, her maybe high school crush show up at her door and, you know, is gets excited until she realizes he's actually there to repossess their washing machine. And.
1: Such a brutal moment.
0: Yeah. So, you know, it's, And you can, I think Fred Ward is another kind of under uh, sung actor in a lot of the things that he's in. He's just a really great actor and like perfect for a role like this is kind of like an every person, you know, like a a dad and a, he's always got that very rural uh, kind of feel to him, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: I don't know. I believe them as a family, you know, like they just seem like a real family. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. How do you, how do you feel about Meryl Streep's performance in it?
0: I, I like her performance in this. It's not quite as, I don't think she's given quite as many layers to play in this one as she sometimes is, which is almost surprising. Um, because I feel like this is actually exactly the kind of role that would normally have more layers, but, you know, she's just kind of a frantic mom for, for a majority of it. Like, Early on in the movie, like she's a very like, you know, endearing person. She's somebody who like seems like a cool mom and like the kids like her and um and then after that she becomes, you know, uh she never she never goes to hysterical. And I would say that the only the only time that she kind of borders on losing it is that scene with Fred Ward when she says, there are a couple lines in this movie that are just like, woo. you see people kind of at their worst when she says, what kind of father are you? You know, Ooh, yeah. that's brutal. Yeah. Um, same, same with this, the middle son saying he wishes Robbie would just hurry up and die. If he was going to do it, like, Ooh, there are some things you can't take back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> this but um I liked her performance for sure. I thought she did great in this movie. It's just, um, you know, she she hit the notes I would expect Meryl Streep to hit for this role, I guess. What did you think?
1: I loved it. I think it was understated. She didn't play extremes, you're right. I just, I just believed her. There's something in her performance that's quite generous to um, the young actor playing Robbie, Mm -hmm. understanding that this movie is yeah, it's about her trying to help her son, but the movie really is about him. Um, and I just, I just sort of got that from her. I, I got, I got the, I got the warmth of a mother, and I definitely got the worry of a mother, and I got all of that without any, um, without any histrionics, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I think you're right. There's not. It, it's quite straightforward.
0: Yeah. Well, I think it's this is that era uh, we always talk about the different eras of of merrill's career um you know she had done all of these comedies which we just kind of did the last of shortly before this in 1994 she did the river wild where she worked with um joseph Mazzello as her son then she did bridges of madison county where she has a couple kids in that one although those scenes are pretty brief then she did Before and After, where she had two kids. Then she did Marvin's Room, where she had two kids. Then she did this one. You know, she was in the era of, like, working with kids. Yeah. Shortly after, this is Music of the Heart, where she's a teacher working with kids. Like, this is the era in which, like, yeah, she almost gravitated. And you wonder if any of that had to do with, it had anything to do with the fact that her kids at that point were around the age of some of the characters that, you know, she was she was a mom, too, in, in the movies, so...
1: I'm sure. I'm sure it influenced her interest in certain stories.
0: Yeah. How could it not? Yeah, I'm not sure exactly where this one rates in terms of, you know, like, overall in her career trajectory, but um, I don't know. What do you think?
1: Like, where would I rank it in performances?
0: Yeah.
1: Oh, that's tough, because she's very good in it. It's just... Yeah, it's almost impossible to compare to like her performance in Death Becomes Her. It's like how do you even, how do you even go there? Yeah, it's such a lovely performance though. I think I might put it. I might put it between Doubt and She Devil. Twenty-four. Oh.
0: Okay, I'm gonna put it twenty-five for her performances after Defending Your Life, which we just did, and before Heartburn. That feels about right. Heartburn is one I might need to revisit at some point. I feel like a lot of people like Heartburn more than I do. Or maybe I'm just not remembering that one all that well.
1: I absolutely love her performance in Heartburn. It's one of my favorites. As a film though, it doesn't quite hold up as well. It's just it's um it's a little uneven. Um I have Heartburn at nineteen. Above Deer Hunter, just because her part in Deer Hunter is not that substantial. Right. Um, yeah, this is a tough one. I'm going to have to think about it. I'm I'm serving judgment. I'm going to give this some thought and I'll, I'll let everybody, if everybody's like dying to know, I'll let y'all next week or actually it's going to be our next episode, which is tomorrow.
0: (laughs) I'm kind of with you. I feel like I need another day. So maybe we'll, maybe we'll officially say next time where this one and music of the heart end up, um, ranking together because music of the heart will not be that tough to discern
1: (laughs) um a little strange because it's for tv
0: yeah and it i'm weighing i'm a little bit swayed by the personal like again the like good natured like they were doing something really good here you know exactly instead of i
1: I feel like it's rated under different standards
0: yeah i think we saw
1: I mean, I feel good about sort of setting this as an outlier because it is for TV. And she's got a couple other TV things. We can put Holocaust over there. We can do like a separate TV ranking. What do we think?
0: We could. Because, I mean, like you say, there is that. There is um, a movie I am desperately trying to track down called The Deadliest Season, which is like her first thing ever. Um Angels in America and Big Little Lies, but I don't know. Um, we've we've kind of made it through a few a few of those already, so we'll we'll kind of see how it goes. Um, so she was nominated for several awards. Um, she was nominated for an Emmy award. I'm just pulling this up here. Mm-hmm. She was nominated for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Miniseries or a Special. Listen to the nominees this year. So Meryl was nominated for this. Helen Mirren was nominated for Prime Suspect. Glenn Ooh, Close. So yep. Glenn Close was nominated for In the Gloaming. Stockard Channing was nominated for a movie called An Unexpected Family. And Alfrey Woodard was nominated and won for a movie called Miss Ever's Boys. Think oh,
1: yeah. About that. I remember Miss Ever's Boys.
0: Yeah. But think cool. about that stacked category. You've got Merrill, Glenn Close, Helen Mirren, Alfrey Woodard, and Stockard Channing in this, like, miniseries or a you know like that's a actually the the um the male side of that was pretty good that year too you had Lawrence fishburne sydney potier robert duval beau bridges and armand assanti nominated for stuff so like yeah the this 97 might have been the the year that like all of a sudden people started gravitating a little bit um the other one that she was nominated for was um a golden globe for basically same category but Nominees were completely different, um, with the with one exception: Meryl for this, mm-hmm. Vanessa Redgrave for something called *Bella Mafia*, which I don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. Um, Jenna Malone, very young at the time, mm-hmm. Jenna Malone, nominated for something called *Hope*. Ellen wow. Barkin nominated for something called *Before Women Had Wings*, and then the one carryover, and she won again, was Elfrey Woodard for *Miss Evers' Boys*. So wow. completely different, different. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not sure exactly. It must have just been, you know, the cutoff was different for the Golden Globes than the Emmys, I assume. Yeah. But she was, you know, I mean, this was high profile enough that she got nominations for Golden Globes and Emmys for it. So.
1: Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Oh, not Uh, surprised.
0: Yeah. Do you have any uh, favorite scenes in this particular one? It's tougher in this one, isn't it?
1: It is tough. They're sort of, um, like, you sort of hit the ground running. Yeah. And um, there's really not the kind of scene work she normally has. I do like her scenes with Alice and Janney. Mm-hmm. I actually really like the scene. There's a, There's a high school classmate of hers shows up at the store she works at sort of one evening while she's closing up. And he tells her that he's heard about her son and that he um, he too has epilepsy and sort of gives her some guidance that she's really not ready to hear. Um, I really I really liked that scene. That might be my I- favorite
0: Yeah, it was for sure an interesting scene. Um, I I remember that scene very distinctly, too. He made some questionable choices in terms of, like, showing up, like, right as it was closing. So she was, like, (laughs) alone in the store. Um, I don't know. I felt like there was a moment of, like, is she safe here kind of thing. Um, And I knew the movie wasn't going to go in that direction. But I was like, oh, man, you know, like, this is still, you know. I, I, I had moments of that. And even the way he kind of approaches, like he's kind of, he, he, the way he, he brings up the fact he doesn't say, Hey, I heard about your son. She just like, he, he asks about him and, and like throws off the epilepsy in a way that she's like, how do you know that? You know, like
1: it. Yeah, it's a little invasive. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And,
0: and, And then she gets a call. Her daughter calls her and says that he's had a particularly bad seizure and it was just taken to the hospital. Um, And so, you know, she rushes off and he's just kind of standing there like a a fool. And she goes, get out. You know, like, what do you think? You know, in that way, it's just like and um, again, this is very spoilery, but, um, you know you may or may not choose to watch this one at the very end of the movie. We, we do get kind of a very, everything is good now kind of ending where you see all of these characters that you've seen throughout the movie, watching him and like walk down the street or on a horse rather on a, in a fourth of July parade. And they cut to that guy in the crowd, just like watching from afar. <laughs> it's like, I don't know if we need to revisit him necessarily. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That too has sort of a accidental creepy vibe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a question mm-hmm. uh, not, not to put in the podcast we can cut this out do they sell the horse?
0: I wondered about that I don't think so I think the implication is that they don't and that the daughter is I mean she says she says early in the movie or halfway through the movie she promises Robbie that he will ride that horse
1: is he riding that horse in the parade? I don't
0: I would have to go back and watch I mean like you would think that they would tie up that bow right? I thought the daughter was riding that horse and he was riding a different horse, but I could be wrong.
1: I guess the big question I have is that it's like you can't pay your bills and you're paying to feed and keep a horse. It's very expensive. And that horse is worth a lot of money. You sell that horse.
0: That was a beautiful horse.
1: That's like the first thing you sell.
0: (laughs) I had the same thought. I was
1: like, this feels not right.
0: Yep. 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 I had the same thought. And actually I, I was sure that they were going to do that. And I thought maybe that would be one of the other things that like was tough for the kids, the other two kids that like they had to now sell their horse for Robbie's sake. And that would like be another thing that kind of, you know.
1: And there's that moment where she takes him out of the barn. I'm like, she's made the decision. She's selling the horse. And then she just goes for a ride. And I was like, that, oh.
0: that ride, as much as I like you know, it's almost a movie cliche. That's another moment where I felt like it became a little bit made for TV because it's, it's like this very cliche, like, like you say, she just kind of takes this horse out after a long day and then just rides him. And it's like the weird late 90s, like almost slow-mo and like almost music video e kind of like looking, you know, shots of her riding the horse. And then she screams out. But it's like so far from a distance that, I don't know, like there was something yeah. about that scene that felt like. That
1: was a little
0: rough. Yeah, it felt a little over the top. um
1: think they could have solved the horse problem very easily with like this promise to robbie like a couple lines of dialogue where he's like i have to ride this horse and that she or the family is fixated on doing everything they can to keep the horse because it's this promise like i think that's something that got lost in translation like it's meant to be that but it doesn't quite translate as that so you don't really understand why they've kept the horse
0: Yeah, there are a few there are a few choices that would be easy enough to take kind of in a different route that probably would have been better. But overall, this movie does hold up kind of surprisingly well, like you say, for a for a made for TV thing. Um, I think my favorite going back to favorite scenes and and moments in this mine is maybe um at once she finally gets him to john hopkins another kind of thing that so Allison janney kind of has this whole list of demands um you know if if she's going to take him to from kansas to maryland they have to meet these qualifications in order for her to sign the release to allow him to go one of which is having a um a doctor travel with them and It is a kind of convenient thing that, like, they just happen to know another physician who's, like, an old friend. And so they, like, get him to come. But they also bring the nurse who's become kind of close to Robbie, who I loved that actress. I was just looking her up, and I can't remember her character name. Um, And whoever she is doesn't have a picture on her IMDb page, so I couldn't figure out um, the actress's name. But she's quite good in this, I think. And um, was her character named Marsha? Marsha Williams.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: I yes. would think that's. I think that's probably who it has to be. So her, the actress's name is Oni Feta Lampley, and um, she apparently passed away. She died in 2008. She was only 49 years old. Awesome. She was. She was very good in this movie. If this was her, um, I loved that nurse. But the scenes, so. Um, It's another kind of important plot point that Meryl's character calls John Hopkins and they, you know, asks about getting Robbie an appointment and they say, we actually have a cancellation tomorrow at 1.30. And she says, well, we live in Kansas. We couldn't get there by then. But, you know, how about, you know, another time? And they say that's the only appointment for, what, a couple months or something, three, four months, something like that. And so she takes the appointment does not get Robbie there in time, but still goes with him. And so when she shows up, of course, the people at John Hopkins are like, we told you we couldn't see him. We don't have a bed. We don't have anything. You know, she kind of forces her way in. And so to both the doctor that's traveled with her and the nurse who's traveled with her, she's essentially lied by saying like, they will treat him. They will see him. And she's just going to kind of do what she's done, which is, like, you know, force them to, um, the kid does the heavy lifting, you know, because they see a kid who's suffering and they, you know, pretty naturally want to help him. But, you know, she takes a real chance, um, that they would just turn them away. And, um, so the scene, then she stays, she and Robbie stay at this orphanage and I, I, it's a little scene, but I really like that little scene that
1: she
0: at the nunnery. Yeah. I like that little scene.
1: Yeah. That is a good
0: scene. Yeah. And the scene when she is, um, you know, it's a little bit over the top, but the scene when she's apologizing to the nurse and, you know, just the way she hugs her. I just love that, you know. And then the, the doctor says that very made-for-TV movie. You know, he looks at, he's holding Robbie and he goes, I wonder if you'll ever know how lucky you are to have a mom like this, you know. <laughs> but. <laughs> it's true. it's very true and in the moment i totally bought it And it was just a little bit after i was like oh it was a little made for tv but you know it's also you know,
1: true you know what else is super made for tv every single line of dialogue that older brother has yeah <laughs> it's like oof oof
0: there's a there's a weird joke early in the movie when they're talking about um, how can he get his grades up, and he says if his teacher would oh. teach naked, oh, and, the, and the whole family sure. cracks up. Oh, <laughs> my God. I was like ah. <laughs> um, anyway, everybody's everybody's pretty good in this movie though I think um, so. Yeah, um, I could not find, um, well, first, do you have anything else that you wanted to say about this particular one? No, I think that's it. Okay. I could not find a one-star review or even a two-star review on IMDb. There's only 23 reviews total. Um, But I did find a three-star review that I thought I would read. This is from M. Bennett 18. Title is really bad movie. Here is what it says. This movie was really bad. Meryl Streep walked through her lines. It is the only poor performance I have ever seen her give. She was forgettable. Other characters were worse. Everyone except the small boy was pitiful. He did the best job of everyone, including Streep. When I rented this movie, I did not know it was made for TV. After I watched it, I could easily tell. There was essentially no character development and parts were at best walkthroughs. What a pity to waste all the actors and actresses' time on such folly. I would absolutely not watch this again, nor would I recommend it to anyone but a sworn enemy. I have seen worse movies, but not many. Why
1: Why is this consistent with a three star? You need to adjust your stars there. <laughs> That's yeah. really lethal.
0: Yeah, it's pretty strong criticism. Um, I do. I do kind of wonder if, he knew or he or she knew the background to this one. I'm guessing maybe not. Um, yeah. This one is it's kind of middle of the pack um, in terms of IMDb ratings. It gets a 6.8 out of 10, which ties it with Florence Foster Jenkins rendition, Lemony, Lemony Snicket and music of the heart, which is the movie we're doing next. Okay. So you'll have two yeah. 6.8s in a row and we can decide which of the two uh, we think is better. Um, There is no box office information or anything like that because it was made for TV. I couldn't find any sort of, like, ratings to see how it did at the time. But I'm sure it was pretty heavily promoted, and I'm sure it did just lovely. Yeah. So I do think it was probably a pretty big deal that Meryl Streep was doing TV. And this was her only movie in
1: 1997. Oh, wow. And really, is it – had she done TV since Holocaust?
0: No, I don't think so.
1: Yeah, everything is after – I mean, I know Angels in America
0: is, yeah, Um, and Big Little Lies is. I think those are kind of the. I mean, like she started with the deadliest season, so I guess she had done two. And there were a couple. There were a couple of her like early um, Broadway roles that they like filmed for PBS. Mm. Um, You know, there was a few of those, which actually you can still you can still buy those. She did one called Alice at the Palace. um, Yeah. there was another one somewhere in there, too. But no, outside of that, she hadn't done television outside of like she did um, this little cameo in something called the Earth Day special in 1990. But that was a thing that a lot of celebrities were doing. It's not like a, a fictionalized yeah. role or anything. Um, we're, not, I guess,
1: we're not including Alice at the Palace in our, in our adventure, are we? Since it's a theater
0: I hadn't planned to, but there are a couple of those. I actually think I do own the DVD of Alice at the Palace, along with one that um, she. did do? I, I do, uh, along with one that she did with um, John Lithgow. Um, I forget. I think it's called Secret Service, but that's another like filmed stage adaptation. Um, but the only other thing that she had done on TV before this, and actually just a couple years before it, was she did an episode of The Simpsons shortly before. But this yeah. is. This is like really, yeah, her first kind of like TV thing. Mm. Intel Angels in America. Okay. Shall we move on to our other segments?
1: Yes, please.
0: Preference for Six Degrees or movies you wish Meryl was in?
1: Uh, let's do Six Degrees.
0: All right. Our Helen pers- Hunt, right? Helen Hunt. Yeah. Did you think of anything for Helen Hunt? Or can you think on the spot?
1: On the spot. That's what I. This is what this has turned into. By the way, is me going? I haven't thought of anything. Can I think of anything on the spot? Um, has Meryl Streep ever been in a movie with Tom Hanks?
0: Yes, The Post.
1: The Post. There you go. Castaway.
0: That's castaway. Yeah. It's like That's surely
1: they have. <laughs> yeah.
0: Are you? Yeah. Is that okay? Good.
1: That's all I got. I'm sure there's more. Surely there's, there's- a connection to Jack Nicholson. Yes. Silkwood.
0: Not Silkwood. The one no. we were just talking about. Ironweed.
1: What a.
0: And that? and heartburn. Oh yeah. So she's worked with Jack Nicholson twice, and Helen Hunt won her Oscar opposite um, Jack Nicholson in As Good as It Gets. There are a few other ones too. Those are kind of the two big ones that I thought of too. She actually did a movie called Everyday with Lee with Liev Schreiber, um, who we were just talking about in the last episode that we or a couple episodes ago now. Um, One, I wanted to see if you are familiar with. There are a whole bunch with Helen Hunt, actually. The more I started thinking about her work, Um, she did this mini series in like the mid 2000s called Empire Falls, which was this HBO thing. Do you remember Paul Newman? Paul Newman. But the other ones in that that have a connection directly to Merrill were Ed Harris, who was in the Hours. Yeah. And Philip Seymour Hoffman was in that too. And he was in doubt with Merrill um both helen hunt and meryl each did a woody allen movie helen hunt did one called the curse of the jade scorpion which was not one of his better known um things Uh, Uh, helen hunt was in a robert altman movie called dr t and the women um that uh, laura dern was in and so there's a connection there
1: i think you and i have discussed dr t
0: I think so too. Cause I remember watching it within the last year or two and that movie is pretty wild. That movie is a, casual. it's, it's, I mean, there is some severe putting Richard Gere on a pedestal. Like, holy, there is some weird gender issues in that movie. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: Movie. Yes. Um, the last ones that I thought of off the top of my head were she's actually been in two movies with, um, Nicholas Cage um she did one called Kiss of Death which I remember loving I bet nobody else out there has ever seen that movie it's a really uh it's with her uh with the two of them Samuel L Jackson and this was the movie that you remember when David Caruso was on NYPD Blue and he quit after that first season for his movie career this was one of the movies that was supposed to launch him it was this called Kiss of Death and they were yeah, there is. There are some great other people in it. It's actually not a horrible movie. It's just, you know, yeah. I don't know why more people didn't see it, but she was also in the he, she and Nicolas Cage were both both also in Peggy Sue Got Married. Um. So anyway, oh, yeah. oh, so Nicolas Cage oh, through adaptation. Married. It's been a while. So what about movies we wish Meryl was in?
1: Um, you know what I was thinking about this? If we are disregarding when the movie was made and age and just thinking character, what character I would like to see her play, I would have loved to see Meryl Streep play Furiosa. What is Furiosa? Mad
0: oh, Mad Max. Okay.
1: Yeah, the newest Mad Max was Charlize Theron. I mm-hmm. mean, Charlize Theron is amazing, but it would have been very cool to see Meryl Streep in that little action I've, movie.
0: Yeah. I've seen some headlines about that movie recently.
1: Oh, well, they're doing a pretty they're doing a prequel about Furiosa, but Charlize Theron is not going to be in it because it's young Furiosa. So,
0: she, it, from the sounds of it, I didn't read any of the articles, but I've seen several articles talking about how filming of that movie was like traumatic for her and that she and Tom Hardy clashed big time on that movie. And I think they're all speaking pretty openly about it. And they both basically have said that the problem was they did not trust the director at all.
1: Oh, that's interesting because I I haven't read anything. I haven't read anything about them not trusting George Miller because he's such a visionary and had the whole thing storyboarded. Mm -hmm. I do know it was a super grueling, grueling shoot because they used as little special effects as possible. So, uh, I mean, those massive car desert scenes are... Uh, in large part the real deal, and mm-hmm. it, it was just physically taxing. Um, I, ha- I haven't read much about her and Tom Hardy clashing, but uh, I'm curious to look up any like distrust of George Miller.
0: Yeah, you should look it up. I, I've definitely seen multiple headlines. I was kind of wondering why right now this was coming out. I know Tom Hardy has a movie out right now called Capone that just came out. Yeah. Um, but I was kind of confused as why all of a sudden this was like a thing, um, but maybe they
1: announced, yeah, they announced Furiosa and then she's been on Instagram. She's been posting, um, she was posting throwbacks to filming and then actually one post just praised George Miller.
0: Interesting. Yeah. Well, maybe it was one of those things where they're kind of retroactively looking at it and saying something like we should have trusted him more and we, you know, or something like that. But um, or maybe it was Tom Hardy that said that thing. Like I said, I actually didn't read the article. I just saw some some headlines. But I I kept seeing this headline, um, you know, or like variations on it. So I was confused You seen the movie. Yeah, I watched it once and I did I wasn't crazy about it. I remember everybody else really loved it and I, I didn't love it. it.
1: Yeah, I, I am a fan of the Mad Max franchise. Mm-hmm. I, I liked I liked the first two, as bizarre as they are. Um and I freaking love that movie, the new one. Just because he I feel like George Miller made um a feminist manifesto and tied it up in a nice little Uh, masculine male uh, bow for the world for it to be palatable to the greater world and Mm. I just sort of it makes me giggle it's like it's like a little it's like he tricked men nice I just deeply appreciate that also Charlize Theron is a god in that movie she's unbelievable
0: she's a badass i mean she's just she's somebody who like because she's so beautiful is not really credited for like how like if you look at her career she's done some really amazing work she's phenomenal um she's really great um interestingly george miller is has a movie slated for 2020 although it's in pre-production so i'm thinking it may not happen called yeah. 3,000 Years of Longing with Idris Elba and T- Tilda Swinton, which that's an interesting pairing, the two of them.
1: Yeah, very. Oh, this is like brand new. I see. It's like an admission.
0: Yeah, I'm telling you. I ya.
1: get it. I mean, this thing was, for all from all accounts, like just not the typical way you make a movie. I, I can see how, as an actor, you would just be freaking out. Also, it is so out there. I can totally see it.
0: Fascinating! I've got to read these. Thank you for pointing to it. Sure, sure. I'm I'm happy to get the rumor mills going. You know, <laughs> I know, right? I, I'm doing my part to to get it out there. My movie I wish Meryl was almost in. I've been thinking about this one. Um, would be a teaming with. It's kind of a. Uh, Kind of reteaming with Denzel Washington, and I'm still stuck on the Jodie Foster thing because last time I mentioned *Silence of the Lambs*, and uh, they were both in Spike Lee's *Inside Man*, which is actually another movie that I really like. And um, Jodie Foster's role is really limited, but it's kind of the same um, kind of like badassery, like woman in charge, like taking no shit kind of part that that Meryl had in *Manchurian Candidate*. Um, less. Less kind of over the top and a little bit more like manipulative, like kind of doing what she needed to do to get her way, but doing it all behind the scenes, maybe. Um, but I, I think she would have been fascinating in that role too. I, I'm, I don't know. I was just about to say, I bet they would have had to flesh it out for Meryl, but Jodie Foster is a huge star too. So you know, like they didn't flesh it out for Jodie Foster, so maybe yeah. he went to flesh it out for Meryl. It would have been interesting to see her do a Spike Lee movie. You know,
1: definitely.
0: That's my choice so oh. cool well our next movie is music of the heart this will wrap up our five in five yeah i don't want to say we did it because we haven't done it yet but you know
1: <laughs> right. <We're> so
0: close. <laughs> the odds are We're ever not- in our favor <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll
0: see you soon everybody thanks for tuning in and talk to you soon
1: bye that's all